Osorio really stressed that AstraZeneca had always tried to do the right thing and emphasized the impact that they have made fighting the pandemic, especially in lower and middle income countries. But at the same time, he had choice words about the potentially unfair depiction of the company's shot that emerged in the media, mainly in Europe. That's Fraser Kansteiner, a staff writer here at Fierce Biotech. Later, we'll hear more from him about our special report on the 20 most influential people in biopharma. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday, May 26th. I've got senior editor Annalie Armstrong here with me to recap the most important biopharma and medtech industry news of the week. Annalie, thanks so much for sharing the news with me today. Yeah, happy to be here. So they say that there's no such thing as too much press, right? Well, it seems like that didn't work out that way for Nova Nordisk. In regard to its new anti-obesity drug, Wigovi, it had too much airtime. And it got too popular, so popular that it had to pull its ad campaigns for the foreseeable future. How did that happen? Well... The drug has become a cultural phenomenon. It had many unsolicited endorsements from social media influencers and celebrities. In fact, Elon Musk endorsed it. That all added up to a huge spike in demand for Wigovi, and Nova Nordisk's manufacturing suppliers just couldn't handle it. Ben Adams reported this story. He said that Nova Nordisk is pausing some promotional efforts, and that includes most of its TV ads as well as projects aimed at doctors. On another note, uh, Fraser Kansteiner recently did a great special for the top line on Narcan nasal spray. That's the opioid overdose reversal drug that recently got an over-the-counter approval. And I understand that Fierce has reported on a new opioid overdose reversal medication this week, uh, one that is prescription, however, but it is intended to be used in healthcare settings and community settings. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Zoe Becker reported this news. The opioid overdose reversal medicine comes from Indivior, and it's called Opvi. It's a nasal spray that was recently approved for emergency overdose treatment in people 12 years old and up. In trials, this drug held its own against Narcan, the rescue spray you mentioned. The results prompted Opiant, Opvi's original developer, to file for FDA approval, which was then fast-tracked. Indivior bought Opiant last November and closed the deal in March. The company plans to launch the drug in this year's fourth quarter. It sounds like there's a lot of progress in terms of opioid reversal medications or treatments for opioid dependence recently. Zoe had another report this week. Right. After the FDA approved Opvi, it cleared Brayburn's Brixadi to treat patients with opioid use disorder. The active ingredient in this shot is buprenorphine, which was developed in the 60s for pain relief and has been used for years to combat opioid addiction. So in this shot, Brixadi comes in a weekly and a monthly dosing option. It comes with a boxed warning due to its crystalline gel formulation, which can cause severe harm or death if injected through the veins as opposed to under the skin. And when will this be available? September, but only through a restricted distribution program. That program requires healthcare providers to have a certification to dispense the shot. Well, a new story that caught my eye this week was reported by Zoe Becker. She wrote about a gene therapy treatment in a topical gel. And it feels like, to me, we've met the future. That gel comes from Crystal Biotech. It's called 
Vijuvic. Yeah, this was an exciting one. What does it treat? It treats wounds related to a rare disease called, and this one's also a mouthful, dystrophic epidermalysis bullosa. (laughs) (laughs) It's also known as the butterfly skin condition. The disease causes extremely fragile skin that tears and blisters with just the slightest friction. The genetic component of it, well, it's attributed to mutations on the COL7A1 gene, which causes the inner and outer layers of the skin to easily separate. How does that work? The gel contains a genetically modified herpes virus, which delivers working copies of the defective gene, which essentially binds the layers of the skin back together. So in a clinical trial, 65% of wounds treated with this gel closed completely, whereas compared to 26% of the wounds treated with a placebo closed. And the company expects that the drug will be available by the third quarter of this year. So it sounds like there's a lot of exciting things going on with new drug developments this week. Yeah, the FDA has been busy. (laughs) Thank you, Annalie. Yeah. Okay, so every week as I produce the top line, I ask the Fierce Newsroom if there's any announcements that they want me to share. And actually, Annalie, who you just heard from, she told me to let you know that today is World Dracula Day. So in honor of World Dracula Day, here's a friendly reminder from the top line to donate blood. (laughs) No, but really, my announcement today is about the Fierce 15. Each year, we honor the best and the brightest in biotech, and nominations are open now. We want the companies that we celebrate with the Fierce 15 to be pushing boundaries, not only in the clinic, but in the C-suite and beyond. So we want to know how you're fiercely redefining expectations culturally, ethically, and in your pipelines. So go to FierceBiotech.com to find out more. Look for Fierce 15. Next, we'll hear from Eric Saganowski and Fraser Kansteiner as they discuss this year's report on the 20 most influential people in biopharma. So if you haven't read the report yet, you'll want to listen to this. But first, a word from our sponsor. ZS is giving voice to patient centricity. Move beyond the buzzword to discover how to bring patient-led business models to life. Join me, Victoria Summers, principal in ZS's Patient Health and Equity Accelerator, as I discuss effective strategies, best practices, and real-world examples with ZS experts from across the industry. Bonus content features patients in their own words, sharing their personal health journeys. You can find us at ZS.com. Look for the Patient Centricity Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Eric. Uh, nice to talk to you. Hi, Fraser. Of course. Happy to be here. So this is one of my favorite special reports that we do here at Fierce Pharma, uh, and I think it's often one of the most exciting for our readers, too. So, you know, one thing I think people might be interested in knowing up top is is just how we come up with this roster of biopharma influencers. Uh, Eric, could you maybe start us off by discussing your process for creating this report? You know, how, how did we run our nomination process and, and what goes into actually selecting our final winners? Definitely. And while I keep the report organized, it's definitely not my report. This is a team effort. Um, It's a multi-month process. Uh, It starts in the wintertime with a call for reader nominations. We give our fierce readers several months to submit their nominations before the editors get together in the spring to begin narrowing down the selections. Um, We also ask for staff nominations, and then we narrow down the list to 20. 
we get hundreds of great nominations, so this is a really tough part of the process. After we make the selections, that begins the process of reaching out to the winners and uh, setting up interviews, writing and editing, and then usually we publish around May. Awesome. You know, this report has been a staple at Fierce for many years. You know, it's been running since long before uh, I've been here. Uh, I'm just kind of curious from your perspective as kind of uh, a veteran at Fierce, you know, how has the report evolved over the years and, and what sort of themes did you come across editing this year's list? Yeah, it really has evolved a lot. Uh, we try not to repeat any of the honorees from year to year. So that's another challenging part is picking a new set of influencers every year. During the times that I've led the project, one year we focused on COVID-19. We highlighted the 22 most influential people leading the pharmaceutical response to the pandemic. And then last year, we ran a four-part series, you know, kind of grouping influencers into different categories. There was CEOs, scientists, entrepreneurs, and regulators. That was a really fun one. I liked breaking it up into four. Uh, for this year, we focus on 20 people influencing the industry in a range of ways. Um, we're seeing a lot of leadership turnover at the big pharma, the big pharma companies. Um, I thought our writers, Kevin Dunleavy and Nick Paul Taylor did a good job of talking about how the CEOs at Bayer and Bristol Myers might approach their new roles. Yeah, I, I especially loved Kevin's intro where it said, uh, you know, riding on his skateboard through the streets of Leverkusen, Germany, here comes uh, you know, Bill <laughs> Anderson. I, that cracked me up. He's great at getting personality into the profiles. Yeah, I think um, it's his history as a sports writer. Definitely, definitely. Other trends we're seeing are, you know, issues such as anti-aging research, environmentalism within the industry, and d diversity efforts. So there's a lot to dig into with this report. Hmm. Yeah, I know that environmentalism was kind of a big fixture of my interview with uh, AstraZeneca's CEO, which we'll get into a little bit later. So, you know, we often get to talk to some pretty impressive people for this report. And, and in this regard, you know, personally, I think that 2023's was sort of a standout. This was a team project. We had 11 writers on the project. Fraser, you had two exciting profiles for this year's report. You interviewed AstraZeneca CEO Pascal Sorio, as you mentioned, and Jim Collins, a prolific MIT professor and serial biotech co-founder. Can you start by telling me about your impressions from speaking with AstraZeneca's Pascal Sorio? This was just a really refreshing discussion, you know, uh, no, no shade to the industry recover, but we hear a lot of, you know, very canned corporate talk from pharma companies. Uh, not, not really so in this interview with Soria, who was uh, really candid and, and most importantly, you know, actually really fun and engaging to talk to. I was also really impressed with his ability to touch on on difficult topics. You know, one of the main ones that I brought up that he was really willing to go into was the uh, kind of struggles that AstraZeneca had with its COVID-19 vaccine. You know, Sorio really stressed that AstraZeneca had always tried to do the right thing, um, you know, and, and kind of emphasized the impact that they have made, uh, you know, fighting the pandemic, especially, uh, you know, in lower and middle income countries. But at the same time, you know, he had choice words about the potentially unfair depiction of the company's shot that emerged in the media, uh, mainly in Europe. That was, you know, really tied to a lot of this concern about side effects, which admittedly have arisen with pretty much all of the shots, including the mRNA vaccines. You know, he was also pretty humble. I, I did the kind of uh, default question of, do you consider yourself an influential person? And, and Sorio had said, 
no, he doesn't. He doesn't really want to be thought of as an influential person, but he does want to be seen as someone who tries to affect areas where he knows that he can make a difference. And again, in AstraZeneca's case, this comes back to, like I was saying, environmental activism. Uh, AstraZeneca really is kind of a leader in this area among its, its pharma peers for sure. They've been on a couple different panels uh, and they've been featured in some articles of ours going into this aspect of ESG. Uh, and, you know, and then lastly, something that, that probably didn't really come out in the report, but which I really just appreciated on a personal level was the time he gave us. We uh, had originally been scheduled for a 20 minute block, but we ended up talking for like an hour. Uh, and I just kind of appreciated the the amount of attention that he was willing to, to give to this report. And it was on a weekend, right? Yeah. And I think that was a blessing. Uh, I think if we had done our original Thursday interview, we probably would have been constricted to that 20 minute block. But we met uh saturday morning he was in china uh his his uh media coordinator was in the uk i was in arkansas so we were you know across three different time zones but we made it work and i think that it actually led to a better discussion in the end that's great uh what can you tell me about jim collins yeah so i mean this guy is a legend uh and he was also pretty funny he gives some really poignant context around how he got into life sciences as well as his decision to stay in academia rather than becoming an executive or uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, and if I recall correctly, he said he he's decided to mainly remain a professor because academia is uh, well suited to his kind of iconoclastic anti-authoritarian approach to life, which I thought was amusing. Uh, I was also really interested to hear his take on the dilemma of antimicrobial resistance and the need for more antibiotics. You know, this is something we hear about a lot uh, writing about pharma, but it's something that really doesn't get a lot of industry attention or, you know, actual effort, cash uh, development put behind it. Uh, you know, he called the issue one of the top 10 existential crises facing humankind, but he noted that it could be solved with far less money than a lot of other societal issues. Uh, and, and as he said, uh, you know, and kind of what I was alluding to, it comes down to a lack of interest uh, within the biopharma space. Uh, you know, and, and with both Collins and Soria, I just think these kinds of takes are refreshing in an industry where most people are really trying to either pump up their companies or avoid saying anything controversial. Well, yeah, I definitely appreciated reading both of those cases. Awesome. Well, you know, Eric, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, like I mentioned up top, I love this report and I think this year's was especially good. Definitely. It's a great look into the people who are influencing our industry, not just the companies. That's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's the bottom line from The Top Line. The active ingredient in the shot is bupro. <laughs> I'm gonna start buprenorphine. Bu- <laughs> bu- <laughs> bu- 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 oh my god. <laughs>